Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right. How are we doing tonight, Student Ministries? We're doing pretty weak. How are we doing tonight, Student Ministries? All right. I missed you all last week, but I heard you looked good. I heard you look good. Hey, um, I want to do something just real quick uh, before we hop in tonight. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter, at the end of chapter one and beginning of chapter two is where we're going to be tonight. Um, there are some people that I do want to honor in the house tonight. Jeremiah and Nikki Parks, where are you? Can you guys stand for a second real quick? Stand for a second real quick. Student ministries, okay, before I have you shout, I need, I need some context. These two were some of the youth pastors here when I was in junior high. Junior high, and I can tell you with the utmost confidence that I would not be the man God has made me without their faithfulness. So can you please show them so much love, so much care. So honored to have you guys here. Man, what a gift, what a gift. Their family is just the coolest people on earth. Uh, we are starting a series in the book of Romans. Everyone say Romans. Romans. Woo, this is a good book. How many of you by show of hands were here last week? Here last week, oh, good chunk of you, good chunk of you. Pastor Chase, he opened this series in Romans 1 talking about how the Apostle Paul makes this very profound and strong statement saying he is not ashamed of the gospel. Everyone say, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. This is a really, really strong statement to start a book because what he is saying is I am not ashamed of a message that can get me beaten, broken, bruised, beheaded, fill in the blank. I'm not ashamed of it. It's my life. I love it. And so he starts out strong with this letter to the Romans. And to give us a little bit of context, we have Paul writing this letter at the end of his third missionary journey. And why this is significant is because I want you to pay attention. This letter is arguably one of the most theologically rich letters we have in the New Testament. And there's a lot of people that ask, well, why is that the case? Why do we have so much doctrine that's founded in this book? And we have to realize that Paul at this point has been in the ministry for 25 years. Everyone say 25 years. 25 years. He has gone around all over northeastern Mediterranean Roman Empire. He's planted churches. He's had to talk to a lot of different people from philosophers to Judaizers to unbelievers to Gentiles, pagans, Jews, all of it. And at this point in his ministry, he's walked with Jesus for, for quite a bit of time. Quite a bit of time. And what's taking place here as we read these letters, I want you to, I want you to notice. What we have is this, this letter is written in roughly 57 AD. And here's why that's important. Because the church began in the Roman Empire or in Rome freshly after Pentecost or Acts chapter 2. Now why this is important is because the church began with a bunch of Jews, but in AD 49, Emperor Claudius kicked out all of the Jews from Rome because there was a disagreement over Jesus being the Messiah. 
And so he kicked all the Jews out. And so what we have is the Jews started the church, they invited the Gentiles in, then they were kicked out. And by the time Paul is writing this letter, the Jews have come back and now they are a minority in their church in Rome. You have primarily Gentiles and Jews just coming back onto the scene. And so we hear a lot of language from Paul here talking to the Jew and to the Greek. Jew and to the Greek, and this is why this is important because he is talking to the nation and the people in which God chose in the Old Testament, and he's trying to rectify that with the fact that God has called all people to himself. Now, are you with me? Now, this is important to realize because what we're seeing is Paul is writing a letter to a divided church. He's writing a letter to people who don't, dis who don't agree very well. In modern day terms, he might be writing to a church that is filled with a lot of Democrats and Republicans. In a modern day church, he might be writing to a very racially and nationally segregated church. And so what's taking place here is Paul's getting right after a gospel that brings all people together. And he starts it out with saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And as we get into the end of Romans 1 into Romans chapter 2 here, he begins to address a very serious reality for all of humanity. Everybody say all of humanity. Tonight we're going to talk about something that's a bit uncomfortable. We're going to talk about sin. Yeah. I know this isn't the one you want to show up to church for. We're going to talk about sin tonight. And here's my hope for you this evening, as, as awkward as this might be, as uncomfortable as this message might get, I want you to take a leap of faith with me right out, the, right out the gate here just to say, Lord, could you prepare my heart for whatever you want to speak to me? So before we read, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Oh, Jesus, we welcome your presence here among us. You are worthy. You are worthy of this time. You are worthy of us setting aside an hour and 15 minutes out of our busy weeks to gather, to worship, to glorify your name, to declare that you are in fact over all things, to praise you. Lord, I pray that our very hearts would be pierced by your word this evening. Lord, I pray that you would show us yourself. I pray that we'd walk out of here seeing you more beautifully. Would you guard anything that I have to say from being an error? And anything that is an error, I pray that it would be forgotten. But Jesus, I pray that your voice would come forth, it would be loud, it would ring true, it would change us, it would shape us, it would mold us to look more and more and more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you have your way? Would you be glorified? And if you're with me this evening, say amen. 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 Romans 1, starting in 28, we have Paul. He just established that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And this is what he is saying. Verse 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they being all of humanity, and since they, all of humanity, did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased 
mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up for up, sorry, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God to which all God's people said. That's That's not a passage that you wanna say thanks be to God to, right? Paul pulls no punches in this letter. He says, look, all of you, all of you, Jews and Gentiles, not just the nation of Israel, not just the Greek, not just the pagan, not just the Samaritan, not just the religious, not just the Pharisee, not just the apostle, not just the disciple, not just the Christian, not just the atheist, not just the agnostic, not just the Buddhist. All of you have fallen short. You are, by biblical definition, unrighteous. You're unrighteous. Your hearts are evil. They have contempt towards God. This is the state of all humanity. He pulls no punches. He makes very clear what does it mean to be a human being in this moment. And I want to suggest to you that Paul is trying to give us perspective to three things. He wants to see that we uh, uh, wants us to grasp how we must see ourselves, how we must see others and how we must see God in this text. Are you with me here tonight? So three things that I want want you to see here this evening. I want you to see how Paul is asking you to see yourself. I want you to see how Paul is asking you to see those around you, and I want you to see how Paul is asking you to see God himself. Are you with me tonight? And this is the first first thing, and it's gonna be a hard pill, pill to swallow. We must see ourselves as sinners. We must see ourselves as sinners. I want you to go back to verse 29 
And let's read this list again. He says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's like, Paul, take a chill pill. This is a rough list. And if we're gonna sit here and be honest this evening, I'm willing to bet we read that text and we go, ooh, Paul, calm down. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe boastful. Maybe, but when I play spike ball, no doubt, boastful. That one applies. Possibly, probably disobedient to parents. Probably, right? I mean, that's no walk in the park. Uh, most likely covetousness, you know? Maybe, maybe your neighbor's got on a nice pair of shoes right now and you're like, hmm, those look fly. I'd like a pair, right? Maybe, maybe some covetousness, right? Like, like maybe if you're a senior, your, friend, your, your friend's parents bought him a nice car and you're driving a piece of junk or you don't even have a car. And you're like, maybe. But murder? Like, like inventors of evil. Like I get, I get like this, like you get like, like an old school picture of like some villain in a move, movie trying to craft like this master plan. Like, like he, Paul's saying you're like, no, inventors of evil, maliciousness. And then I love the end to this, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Like, that's tough. That's tough. And I'm willing to bet maybe we see a couple of these things in ourselves, but overall, for the general, like, North End, Colorado Springs, if you go to TCA, Pine Creek, Air Academy, DCC, Palmer Ridge, you're like, Mason, like, but not the whole list. That's not us, right? Like, that's where the heart wants to go. Like, I am not evil. I don't want to see someone die unless they cut me off, <laughs> right? Like, like, I don't have a master plan to deconstruct society so that everybody's miserable. Like, no, like that's not me. Like, I am not, that malicious is not a word I would use to define myself. And yet this is the list that Paul is giving Humanity, and there's a reason for this, and I need you to hear me. There's a reason for this. See, Paul understands that until we begin to see ourselves as sinners, in other words, until you begin to see that the nature of your heart, apart from God, is every single one of these things. Hear me. Until you can see that, you will see no need for a savior. Let me say that again. Until you can realize that the condition of your heart against God is not just one, two, three of these things, but all of these things, 
you will not see your need for a savior. So I'm gonna make a statement to you tonight that I want you to hear, and I want you to hear it well, and then I want you to hear me explain it well. You, me, all of us need to get to know our sin. You need to get to know your sin. And I want you to hear what I'm saying here because the very fact and the very proof that sin might exist in your life is you heard me say that statement and your mind went to, did the pastor just give me permission to sin? Did he just ask me to try and do a bunch of things that I know I shouldn't do just to get to know it? Did he just ask me to try to look at something I know I shouldn't look at? Did he just ask me to be disrespectful, disobedient, dishonoring to my parents? Did he just ask me to try the substance that I've been thinking about? No. No. You need to get to know your sin. And the best way that I can explain this is, for lack of better words, in a parable. You see, there's something about getting to know your sin that in fact helps you cherish the person of Jesus more beautifully in your life. I want you to, I want you to imagine a scenario like this. Now I'm gonna use the example of men because ladies, I'm a man, I'm sorry, but make the adjusted modifications for your scenario. I want you to, I want you to imagine a picture of three men standing before a pit. Three men standing before a pit and the pit can be defined as any form of lewdness and sin, temptation, lust, whatever it wants to be. Standing on the edge of the pit, and in this moment, three ropes extend out from the pit and wrap themselves around each man's waist. And we'll say, just for the sake of this illustration, that there can be up to 100 pounds of pressure, maybe 200 pounds of pressure, that this rope can pull upon each man. And we come to man number one, and he's looking at the pit, and he has been told that death awaits him in the pit. That to take a step off this edge only means death, despite the fact that everything he is going to see in this pit is going to be desirable. He's going to long for it. He's going to want it. And so as he stands before this pit, man number one is standing there and all of a sudden we'll say he's in a moment in his room where he's swiping on his phone, he's scrolling social media and something pops up that he has an opportunity to look at that he knows he shouldn't. He knows he shouldn't. And at this moment, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 pounds begin to pull on his hips. And he's at a place right now where he's gotta make a decision. He knows what he wants but he knows that he shouldn't. And so he sits there and he debates, and the longer he debates, the longer the rope pulls. 25, 30, 35, 40 pounds, and he digs his heels in. He goes, no, I've been told the truth. Nothing but death awaits me here. 40, 45, it starts to hurt his hips, so he decides, you know what, forget it, and he jumps in. He jumps in. He embraces what he wants in his flesh, he receives death. Man number two, same situation, standing before the pit. And a moment comes where his strength is tested. 
scrolling on his tablet in the room, something pops up that he knows he shouldn't look at. And he starts asking the question, what should I? And all of a sudden, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds begin to pull. And he does the same thing as the first guy. He digs his heels in. He's saying, no, 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 no. I know that this is something that I should not do. And he's crying. He's trying to remind himself of truth. He's going for it over and over and over again. And he's debating. He's debating as he's still facing the pit. And he's hitting 55, 60, 65 pounds. At this point, the rope, the cord is starting to dig a bit into his hips. It's starting to wrap around his waist. It's starting to take away his ability to breathe. 65, 70, 75 pounds. He can't make it anymore. He decides to jump in, swipe. He decides to look. He embraces death for the sake of getting what he wants. Are you following me so far? Man number three. Same situation. Cord around his hips, sitting in his room, swiping. All of a sudden, an opportunity comes. Should he look? Should he not? The rope begins to pull. Ten, 20, 30, 40 pounds of pressure. It starts to hurt. He, in the same way, digs his heels in. 50, 60, 70 pounds of pressure. He knows that he has been told not to look. 75, 8. It's beginning to squeeze and suffocate him the same way that it was guy number two. But he has not given up. He knows that life has been outside of this pit. He knows that death exists here. 80, 85, 90 pounds. It begins to cut into his hips. He starts bleeding. And he has a moment of reality. He realizes that in and of himself, he doesn't have the strength to stay out of this pit. So he makes a decision, instead of facing the pit, to turn around and push away and look for anything that he can hold for help. And help comes in the form of a cross. And he holds on to the cross. 90, 95, 100 pounds of pressure, cut into his hips, suffocated, but 105 pounds, and boom! The rope snaps. He throws the phone away. He gets up. He walks out of his room. He praises the Lord. I got a question for you. Which of the three men better understood the weight of their sin? Person number three. You want to know what the greatest stifler and hindrance to your intimacy with God is you've refused to get to know your sin. You have refused to see that you in fact need a savior. And until you're willing to admit that you need to get to know your sin and that God is calling you into deeper, more intimate relationship with him, you won't see a need for him. All you want to do is jump. Brothers and sisters, there is no gospel. There is no reality or need for a savior until you see yourself as a sinner. Are you with me tonight? That's a painful truth. Because you know what it means? It means that you are not all that in a bag of chips. You're not. And I want you to think for a moment as we get into point number two here. Who is it that's writing this letter? This is a man 
that was persecuting and murdering the church. Rewind 25 years before he's writing this letter, this man committed his life to murdering those who said Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is this same man who was murdering Christians that makes a statement out the front that I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of a message that tells me I am a sinner. I am not ashamed of a message that tells me I am full of envy, that I'm, I'm full of, of boast and pride. I am not ashamed of a message that tells me that by default, my heart is full of malice. My heart is full of evil. That in fact, it's an inventor of evil. That my heart is foolish. It's faithless. It's heartless. It's ruthless. I'm not ashamed, why? because this message shows me a picture of a God who came running for me anyway. Are you with me tonight? Are you with me tonight? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we realize as sinners, Christ came and died for us anyway. Which helps us with point number two. We must see ourselves as sinners, yes, but we must see others as those in need of grace. As those in need of grace. I want you to notice this here. Paul, in verse one of chapter two, he says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. One of the great products of not knowing your sin is that you become judgmental of others. Oh yeah. Did you hear what I just said? One of the great products. In other words, you know that you don't know your own sin when you are quick to look at another and condemn them. When you're quick to look at another and see the brokenness and frailty in their life, but you don't see it in yours. It shows a lack of awareness of your own sin. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount was getting at this before Paul even did. Matthew Chapter seven, three through five, it says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, get to know your sin before you start looking at your brother and sister's sin. I can probably say in almost 100% confidence, every person in this room at one point or another has felt judged, right? We all know what it feels like. We all know what it feels like to be constantly evaluated. 
We know what it feels like, especially if you're in high school here, to be scrolling social media and seeing the highlight reel of all your friends' life. You know what it's like to walk the halls of your school back when you actually went to school and see the kid where it's like, man, you know their life is jacked up because you see them making the worst of decisions or it might be that you see yourself as that person going, you know what, I just kind of want to do what I do and you get mad at other people for judging you. We all know what that feels like. And what Paul is giving to us here are some pretty comforting words for the people around you, right? It's easy for us to go, hey, yo, look, don't judge. Don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And yet this is a harder pill to swallow for ourselves. Why? Because we like to judge. You know why? Because we like to be God. We like to be God. We like to be the evaluators of truth and life and strength and weakness in other people's lives. And you know the filter that we use to measure it? Our own life. I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. That's not the gospel. The gospel says, I am severely broken, as broken as every single person in this room. And like every single person in this room, I have wounds and I have hurts. And like every single person in this room, I am not perfect. And like every single person in this room, I am in need of a God to put together my broken, pathetic, weak, and frail life. And like every person in this room, I'm in need of a savior. You see, when we see ourselves as sinners, all of a sudden, I get to look at my brothers and my sisters and see those who are in need of the same thing that I am, grace, grace. This is what it means to be the people of God, that instead of celebrating my strengths and defaming your weaknesses, I celebrate Christ in you and you celebrate Christ in me. And we see each other the way that Christ sees us in need of grace. Are you with me here tonight? Point number three, we must see God as the solution. I want to invite the worship team back up. We must see God as the solution. Man, this is an intense passage. I got to put my glasses on because I didn't write it down. Can we put it up on the screen? And now, there it is. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If you have a Bible, I want you to underline that sentence. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Every time I hear somebody say, grace is a license to sin. In other words, isn't what God did for me the pure 
proof that I can simply just live the life that I want. I've got my ticket to heaven. I've got my get out of hell free card. I gave my life to him, so I'll live the life that I wanna live, not being aware of my sin, not getting to know my sin. And just as long as I've said that Jesus is Lord in my life, I'll keep moving. And Paul is sitting here looking, are, are you counting on, on God's kindness, his forbearance, his patience for that? Do you not realize that his kindness has a purpose? His gentleness and patience with you has a purpose. And that purpose is repentance. And that you would see the kindness of God and in seeing the kindness of God, realize your sin and turn away and walk in new life. That's the purpose of his kindness to you. That the gospel is not just a story where God meets you where you're at, but he meets you where you're at. He gives you new life and he takes you through new life. Are you with me? The ultimate goal of the image of your life is not yourself at the end of time and into eternity. The ultimate objective of the gospel is to make you look more like Jesus. In other words, to make you look more like God himself. And this is why we call it good news. That Jesus, before the foundation of the world in heaven, looked at you and seeing you as a sinner, came and died for you anyway. That Jesus, before the foundation of the world, looked at those around you and saw them in need of grace. That Jesus, before the foundation of the world, looked at all of us and said, I will be their solution. Brothers and sisters, get to know your sin so that you can see the beauty of your Savior. Get to know your sin so that you can see the beauty of your Savior. Savior, what I mean by that is that the walk of faith is becoming more aware of our brokenness so that we simultaneously become more aware of his healing. That the story of the gospel is that we become more of aware of our weakness so that we can simultaneously become more aware of his strength. Are you with me tonight? Can you stand? You know, it breaks my heart. What breaks my heart so heavily as a pastor? Countless coffee dates, countless lunch dates, countless phone calls, countless text messages with all of you or with many of you. And we come to these services on Wednesday nights and I go to services on the weekends and it's not just with youth. I see it with parents. We live in a place of such wealth and abundance. We live in such a place of material strength. I'm willing to bet that 99.99% of the people in this room 
didn't go to bed hungry last night, didn't go to bed without a roof over their head last night, that you're getting an education for free. Like we have privilege, we have opportunity, we have abundance. And one of the dangers of abundance is we lose our awareness for need. You cease to realize that the breath in your lungs today is a very gift from God. You cease to realize that the bed you sleep in, the food you put in your belly, that I put in my belly is a very gift from God. And we have a culture that enculturates us, literally teaches you that the older you get, the more independent you should be. Where we have a gospel that teaches the exact opposite, that the more mature you get in Christ, the more dependent you become on him. In essence, we live in a place where it's hard to be aware of our sin because we're not in need very often. We have a life that is so consumed with looking at ourselves. And so you come to church, I come to church, and we check the box, we do what's right. We know there's something about this, something about you know people connecting and, and worshiping a transcendent God, is, it's a good thing. But if we're being honest, this message has never bore weight in your soul. It's never meant enough to you to change your life. And I want to suggest to you tonight that it hasn't meant enough to you, that it hasn't changed your life because you don't know your sin. You don't know your sin. And if you want to walk with Jesus in a life-giving relationship, it's going to have to start with you seeing your need for him. And until you have a need for him, there's no relationship. And so I know, I know it's a weird statement for a pastor to stand up here and say, get to know your sin. I know that feels weird. I'm not getting you to try things that you shouldn't. I'm not trying to get you to think about things that you shouldn't. I'm trying to get you to see that you are broken, you are frail, and you're in need of a God to put your life back together, no matter how cush or comfortable it is. We're sinners in need of a savior and God answered the call. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come live and die for you so that those who put their faith in him will be considered new creation. That those who put their faith in him realize they no longer have to jump. They no longer have to bow their knee to the ways and whims of this world, but they get to hold fast to something better. They get Jesus. It doesn't mean your life is going to be sunshine and rainbows. 
what it means is that when storms come or when you're living in sunshine and rainbows, Jesus will be enough. So as we end this service, I want to pray the prayer of confession together because I think this is the only, the only way to respond as sinners. If you've been following Jesus for 20 plus years in here, or if tonight you feel that God is calling you into a relationship right now, this prayer is for us every day, sometimes a thousand times a day. Can we pray it together? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Can you open your hands with me? As the band plays this song and as we worship for a couple minutes, I wanna invite you to be real with yourself, to be real with your sin this evening. And I wanna invite you to see that God sent his son to pull you out of the pit and give you new life. I wanna invite you, if you have not already done so, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to submit it to him, to give him all that you are, all that you have to live for the glory of his name. I wanna invite you to put your eyes on him, to see him more beautifully, and to give him all glory, all honor, all praise that he is worthy of. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.